you can generally tell where one of them has slept because there's just like a ring of turds. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Raw Safari Podcast. I'm really excited to have you all back here. I wanted to start today's episode by thanking everyone in the community that has been reaching out to me lately by email and on social media to tell me how much they love the show. It really means a lot to me to get those messages, and I love interacting with so many amazing animal people. I also really appreciate those of you who are spreading the word about the podcast. I am getting new subscribers daily, and it's really remarkable to watch someone share about the show on social media and then immediately see the results on my download stats for the day. Recently, a fan posted in a fan group of the amazing science podcast Ologies, recommending that anyone who was interested in animals should check out the Rossafari podcast. My download count for that day was the single highest it has ever been on a non-release day, and I know a lot of those new listeners hit subscribe and are now on this journey with us. So, welcome new listeners, and thank you to that incredible fan. If you know of any groups of people who might be into this podcast, please take a minute to share about it there. I love watching this community grow. Other ways you can help the podcast include visiting patreon.com slash rossafari to become a patron, rossafari.redbubble.com for merch, and, of course, by making sure you're following along at rossafari on Insta and Facebook. Also, it is a giant help to me if you're willing to give the pod a five-star rating. Oh, and speaking of giant things, today is a giant episode. Anytime I have posted on social media asking people what they want to hear about on future episodes, the number one response is, do an episode about giant pandas. Well, here it is. Today, I'm bringing you my second interview with Danica Wolf from Zoo Atlanta. You may remember Danica from episode four of this podcast, the very special Remembering Iggy episode. Well, Danica is back to tell you all about what it is like to work with the giant pandas at Zoo Atlanta. There's also a bit of a plot twist in this episode, as you'll hear near the end. So, without further ado, I give you my conversation with Danica Wolf of Zoo Atlanta. Danica, thank you so much for coming back. I'm so excited to be interviewing you again, even if we are going to be talking about the wrong kind of panda this time. Not true at all. <laughs> I know. The I good did. panda. But for uh, for people that may have missed your first episode, Remembering Iggy, could you tell me um, just who you are, where you work, and what you do there? My name is Danica Wolf. I am a keeper, too, at Zoo Atlanta. I'm part of our carnivore team, which consists of a ton of traditional carnivores that you think of, so like tigers and lions. Um, but I'm a primary member on our giant panda care team. So I spend all of my time with the giant pandas and red panda. That's amazing. Okay, so um, today we are going to be talking about those giant pandas. Um, and I have to tell you, this is easily my most requested 
topic from really yeah people are always like tell us about giant pandas and of course i always kick back and say no i want to talk more red pandas but um yeah so i i really thank you so much for doing this uh i'm really appreciative um do you find that people at the zoo are in generally or yeah in general are more excited about the giant pandas than a lot of the other animals i think so i mean it's we call them the warm and fuzzies, you know, the animals that everybody comes to see. So, I mean, as one of the few zoos in the country that have giant pandas, it makes sense that most of our visitors come with the intent of seeing the giant pandas. Um, but when they come to see the giant pandas, they get to see and learn about all the other awesome animals we have, like red panda and all of our other guys. So, but in general, yeah, most almost every guest wants to know where the giant pandas are. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, so, okay, give me a brief overview of, of the species. Um, what kind of animals are these? And just, you know, in a very generalized way, tell me a little bit about uh, what giant pandas are. So giant pandas are part of the bear family. Uh, giant panda haters will sometimes call them fake bears. <laughs> Why uh, is that? Because they eat grass. Uh, you know, when you think bear, you think this like meat eating animal, but if you really think about it, I think polar bears are the only bears that eat exclusively meat. So interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, don't, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure. Again, I'm a giant panda keeper. So don't um, worry. I, I fact check these things. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but so they are part of the bear family. They are the second smallest bear species. So sun bears, which we also have at zoo Atlanta are the smallest ones. Uh, they range anywhere between like 200 ish for the females, like up to 300 for a breeding season male. They are known for their characteristic black and white coloring. Um, fun fact, you are pre-programmed as a human to think giant pandas are cute. How so? Uh, so if you think about it, I mean, human babies, I don't have kids, but they're not the cutest thing in the world, but to create like investment in them you just think they're adorable. They have these big bulging eyes and these round faces. And when you look at a giant panda, their markings make them look like they have these big puppy dog eyes and these big round fluffy faces. So of course your brain is just programmed to love them. That's fascinating. I never thought about that with the markings. Very cool. Very yeah. Cool. Giant pandas. I mean, their markings are way bigger than their actual eyes. It's just like orcas. They look like they have those big eyes, but it's really just their markings. Right, right. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm also predisposed to love giant pandas because when I was born, my very first stuffed animal, which I still have to this day, is a uh, a little giant panda puppet. Oh, really? Yes. I creatively named it um, Panda. So, wow. you know, <laughs> to be fair, cool. I was I was young. I was young. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, before we get to the individuals at the zoo and what it's like to to work with them, um, I'm curious. I I. I think I, if I understand correctly, um, China technically owns all of the pandas in the United States, and y'all are, for for lack of an un, you know an, an informed word, um, borrowing them. And I know that's probably a weird way to put it, but could you uh, shed some light on that for me? Yeah, we collaborate with the Chengdu Research Base of Giant Panda Breeding. That's who we got our original pair from, Lun Lun and Yang Yang. They were born there, and all of the the, all of the pandas in the United States, as well as many other countries, are owned by the Chinese government. So we are technically, like you said, for the back, lack of a better word, borrowing them. But in doing so, we're able to bring these animals from a completely other part of the world so that people can see them. They spark all of these com or com 
conservation <laughs> efforts. Um, but they are technically, they do technically belong to Chengdu. And we um, have a loan agreement with them that is for our single breeding pair, Lun Lun and Yang Yang. And that is renewed every five or so years. You know, our upper management and animal care meets with our colleagues at China and talk about, you know, the future of the program at Zoo Atlanta, what that looks like, and then kind of go from there. Very cool. And do they ever come over and check on their bears or do you have to like report stuff to them or how does that work? <laughs> There's Bernie. Hi, Bernie. <laughs> Um, so our upper, upper management in animal care are in constant communication with China. You know, they, they do check in and see how the bears are doing, but we have had Lun Lun and Yang Yang since 1999. So our rapport with them is very good. They trust us in everything we do. I was not here, obviously, in 1999 when they got here. I was seven. <laughs> so, um, but from what I understand, when they first got here, you know, giant pandas in America were like a fairly new thing. Like, you know, there's these more common animals that you can kind of put feelers out and see how people generally take care of them. Other zoos, but with giant pandas, there wasn't really that resource. So they did have colleagues come over to just kind of help set the stage for taking care of them. They're the experts in giant panda care. And then when we have cubs, we do have a colleague come over and help with the rearing of the cubs because giant panda cubs are so fragile. Um, so it's always nice just to have that extra expertise around. Makes sense. Yeah, Chengdao is incredible. Um, it is a definite uh, life goal to get there, to go to visit there at some point. Um, and actually, I'm I'm really proud of this. The uh, they are doing, they're trying to develop red panda facial recognition software so that camera traps will be even more efficient because they'll be able to tell if it's the same panda coming by or not. That's at Chengdu. And yeah. Oh, wow. And, I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, they're using some of the Rasafari photos as part of the initial database, um, along with other people who, who do the same thing online and everything. But I am just so proud to, in the smallest way, be, be contributing to that project. And I just I think it's fascinating. That's really cool. Yeah, that's like a super non-invasive way of tracking them. Yeah, yeah, I find it just incredibly, incredibly fascinating. Um, so am I correct in saying, uh, if I, you know, if I'm remembering correctly here, uh, I know that the San Diego Zoo Pandas have headed back to China. So it's just Zoo Atlanta, Smithsonian's National Zoo, and the Memphis Zoo that have them in the United States, correct? Yep. And then there's a pair um, in Canada. So North America, there's one more pair. But um, Oh, okay. The the three zoos that you mentioned are the only ones in the United States that currently have them. What zoo has them in Canada? I believe Calgary. I know okay. that um, Calgary and Toronto had like a joint agreement going on. So they were in Toronto for a while. They had the twins there. And then um, the pair went over to Calgary, if I'm remembering correctly. We don't um, – a lot of people think that all the zoos that have giant pandas know exactly what's going on with the other zoos with giant pandas. Um, but they work with different research bases. So um, it's not like a thing we're constantly – we'll communicate about like husbandry things, so things that concern the giant pandas specifically, like diet and enrichment. But other than that, we don't really talk about it. Sure. Makes sense. Okay, cool. I was just, I was just curious. Yeah. Um, I'm also proud to have seen all of the giant pandas in the country. So um, having Well, there's like six now. Of- I guess yeah. there's seven. The um, baby at uh, National makes four, seven, five, I guess. Six, seven. Well, then, uh, well, that's because you guys have four. Oh, my gosh. We have four. Yeah, you forgot <laughs> your own. True. You forgot your own. Yeah, so so I think there's 11 now. Yeah, I um, was close. 
Yeah. And then there were the the ones in San Diego that I got to see before they mm-hmm. left as well. So yeah, yeah, that's just kind of, that's something I'm proud of. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, there are people that travel to the United States just to go on giant panda road trips. So they'll usually fly into DC or San Diego and then work their way across the country, stopping at all the zoos that have giant pandas. That's amazing. Um, I guess there's some real pandas out there, huh? Some hardcore pandas. <laughs> That's awesome. All righty. So enough of this factual crap. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's talk about uh, your, your pandas at Zoo Atlanta. Tell me some names and, and personalities. So we have the two adult bears. They, are, they just turned 23 years old. I can't believe they're 23. They got Taylor Swift themed birthday parties. With just me, mostly, because no one else wanted to do it <laughs> last year. Um, so we have Loon Loon. She's our adult female. And then Yang Yang's our adult male. They were both born at Chengdu. And they came to Zoo Atlanta in 99 when they were about two years old. Um, with the intent that they would eventually breed once they got to that point. So when they first moved here, they were younger. And they could hang out with each other during the day. Um, cause they were two young bears, but Yang Yang got bigger faster than Loon Loon. So the play sessions got a little too rough and giant pandas are solitary. So it was totally normal for them to live separate at some point. Um, and then they have our current kids at Zulana are Yalun and Shilun, uh, cub six and cub seven. So this is Loon Loon's fifth birth, but sixth and seventh cub. Right. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah she is a rock star. She is the best animal mom I've ever worked with. Um, Caring for giant panda twins is incredibly hard because, you know, she's only built to take care of one. So that's why we are so involved when there's kids or when there's twins um, because she can't physically do it. Um, In the wild, unfortunately, she would pick one and then the other one would just just be left behind. Um, But because of the setup we have at the zoo and because of everything we know about giant panda twin or cubs from our work with Chengdu and from the other five we've had at Zoo Atlanta, um, the keepers were able to quote, we call it co-rearing. So Lin Lin always has one cub and then the keepers take care of one and we switch them out so that she has time with both. And then when they're just big enough, they can both live with her. Um, But we have Yalun and Shilun and they just turned four which is crazy. I've been working with them since they were like eight or nine months old and they're four now, which is crazy. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And how big are they now? They are right on par with where their siblings have been. Um, so they're around like 95 kilos. So multiply that by 2.2 get pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. that was Just in case helpful. you were wondering. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Come for the panda facts and stay for the equations, folks. Um, Very cool. So uh, I'm curious, how many habitats do you have for the the pandas at the zoo then? So we have our behind the scenes areas. Um, The whole building is air conditioned because giant pandas can tolerate temperatures up to about like 70, 75 before they just don't want to be outside anymore. Uh, Their fur is really thick, so they're not built for Georgia humidity and heat. I don't, I'm not built for Georgia humidity and heat. (laughs) Um, so we have the behind the scenes areas and then two indoor, we call them day rooms. So those glass habitats you'll see if you come to the zoo. And then we have two outdoor habitats that we can utilize when the weather's nicer. So usually anytime from right about this time of year to maybe like 
March, April, and then the humidity and the bugs show up. And then we actually have a, we call it the secret habitat. It's um, a behind the scenes habitat where we let all of the native bamboo grow and it's not visible to the public and the pandas can go out there and harvest their own bamboo. They can run around and play in the pool back there. Um, if you've ever seen any of our panda updates where we play tag with them through the barrier, uh, that's where we play that game with them. They really, really enjoy it back there. Makes sense. So plenty of room for them to be separated and doing their own thing and all that good stuff. Yeah, Very and cool. because we only have three groups right now, um, we can often give one panda or Yalun and Shilun access to more than one habitat. Nice. So they have all the choices. They can choose where they want to spend their time. Very cool. Um, and, you know, with having had cubs before, where where are they now? So it is part of that agreement I told you about um, earlier that any offspring born here at Zoo Atlanta will go back to China. It's any time after they turn three years old. So, I mean, if you think it is sad, you know, to see these cubs that were born here leave and go to China. But if you think about the whole reason why we exist in the first place, it's to help maintain genetic diversity and those cubs are related to everyone here. So there's no sense in keeping them here and prohibiting them from contributing to the population. So they do go back to China. Like I said, the people at China are experts in giant panda care. They are treated like royalty over there. Um, we only get bamboo shoots during the spring. The pandas in China get bamboo shoots all year. <laughs> so nice. that is why they're always a little chonky. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you see a giant panda in China, they've always got like a pile of shoots on their lap and they're just like gorging them. <laughs> Very cool. And, you know, speaking of panda conservation, um, I would argue that the giant panda has become the absolute face of successful conservation efforts, um, especially to people that are, are less plugged into the conservation world. Um, the work done by um, the WWF and, and other organizations um, now has them from almost completely extinct to not even listed as endangered, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, right? no, they got downgraded to vulnerable in 2016, I believe. That's amazing. Um, do you have any thoughts on like why that has worked and why it's been so effective? I think it's a great example of having, you know, scientists, policy, like politics and everyone involved in conservation. Conservation's a team effort. And, you know, you can't just go into a place and, you know, where the native people live and say, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to save these animals. You have to involve the community. You have to make sure they're invested in it. It has to be like all hands on deck. And using a warm and fuzzy animal like a panda is a really good way to get people that, you know, not aren't necessarily like super engaged with conservation and like current animals that are facing risk of extinction. Pandas pull in those people because they're pandas and they're adorable. And then they they're kind of like a gateway animal. So you you come in for the panda, but then you learn about that super endangered frog. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, they are the logo for WWF. So that's huge. And I think it's been a really good example of, you know, not just American zoos, but zoos all around the world collaborating for this animal. And now they're just vulnerable. They're not, they're not totally out of, out of the harm's way. Right. So vulnerable just means we have some time. Like they're, you know, when you're endangered or critically endangered, that step to extinction is that much smaller. So we've just moved a little bit away from it. Well, that's definitely great news. 
Um, so tell me about the the bear personalities. I want to hear about your friends. Like, I love them gi- so much. I know, right? Give me like a a um, you know dating app profile for for each of your bears. Oh gosh, okay. Not not literally, of course. You know, but- <laughs> um, I actually did that for World Lion Day. I made dating apps for the Lion Boys. So, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, okay, let's start with the kids. Let's do the kids first. So Yalun and Shilun. So Yalun was born first. We call her Cub A sometimes. So when it's Chinese tradition not to name giant panda cubs until they're 100 days old. So for a long time, when I'm, I had met them, they'd already had their names. But we call them Cub A and Cub B sometimes. So she's like, you know, she was the first one out. She's the first one to get stuff done. All she cares about is leaf eater biscuits. Uh, my nickname for her is Brutus. I have no idea why. But I I call her Brutus. (laughs) Um, She's just a little tank. When she was little and we were, you know, we only handled them because we had to. Like I said, Loon Loon couldn't take care of both. So we did bottle feed um, both of them to make sure they were getting all the nutrition they needed. When you would um, move Loon Loon away to a secure area, give her a bunch of treats to keep her busy, and then we'd go in and get the cubs to feed them, Yaloon was like right there. And she was like, you've got my bottle. I'm coming out to hang out with you. I'm going to get that bottle, and then I'm going to take a nap. Um, Shilun is, you know, she'd let Yalun plow through her to get through the door first. And then she's, she's a little more coy. She's a little more cautious about things. She is the only panda, I think, in the history of giant pandas that doesn't like sugar cane. Seriously? Which is insane because sugar cane is where giant pandas harness their power from. Okay. Okay. So the first time we gave it to her, she just kind of like, Bleh. She didn't want it. And Yaloon was like, thanks. <laughs> she took it. Um, she's always eating bamboo. That's like what she cares about. She is like the most panda panda I've ever met. <laughs> um, Loon Loon has had seven cubs, which is incredible. She's a rock star. Her training, um, you know, giant pandas go through that whole pseudo pregnancy jazz. So she's ultrasound trained and she's a champ at it. Like the second you put her in the area that we do ultrasounds in, she rolls over and she's ready. She's like, yeah, just give me a biscuit, do what you need to do. It's not a big deal. Um, she always self anoints with the ultrasound jelly though, which is really cute. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she, I met Loon Loon as a mom. So I actually started in the carnivore panda section as an intern and I was in the giant panda section for maybe like three weeks before I got a full-time job and went down to the petting zoo. And she had just stopped nursing May Luna May Juan, the previous set of cups. So um, I've only ever really known her as a mom. I didn't really get to know her back then. And in the last couple of years when she's been, you know, not with Yaloon and Shiloon, and we made the decision with our colleagues at Chengdu not to breed her anymore, I've really seen her like true colors come out. She's male giant pandas in general are way more playful because they don't have to do anything. Male giant pandas literally exist. That is like, <laughs> if you ever get reincarnated into anything, you want it to be a male zoo panda. You like, that tracks. sometimes, you know, you, you wake up and your girlfriend's pregnant and that's all you have to do. You don't have to take care of the cubs. You have panda keepers come in and put your food in a nice pile for you. They clean up your mess and then you play the whole day. Yeah. It, it sounds pretty much like being a musician me. actually. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but Lun Lun, it's been really fun to watch her even as like an older bear. You know, Yalun or Yang Yang and Lun Lun are considered geriatric now. They're 23. Um, they're on the lower end of it, but it's been really fun to watch her play and like want to play with her keepers. She doesn't usually solicit play from us, but like Yang Yang, that's all he ever wants to do. <laughs> um, so that's been really fun. And I've really enjoyed getting to know her as like an, like an individual animal versus, you know, mommy Lun Lun. Um, Yang Yang, I saved him for last because I have no shame in admitting that he holds a special little place in my heart. Um, you, can, which, you can say it. You, you can say it. We're You're not supposed to say we have favorites, and I, I know, give but all it, I, of them I, the I, same care. Of course you do. But every single keeper I've spoken to for this podcast or in my personal life says the same thing. We don't have favorites, but my favorite is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know what's up. Come on. Um, We've talked about this before. Yeah, so... I, I don't know where I read it somewhere. I read, I feel like it was on a, a like a zookeeper Facebook page or something. Someone said that they had a heart animal and it's like their animal that they meet and it just like changes everything. And Yang Yang is my heart animal, um, which is a cop out because everyone loves Yang Yang. <laughs> um, it's not though, because you get to spend time with Yang Yang. So it's yeah. a little different. Yeah. So, so tell me, tell me all about this. He is the goofiest animal and he's so sweet, but when he's in a mood, he's the worst, which I think makes me love him that much more because when I'm in a mood, I'm the worst. (laughs) (laughs) So Lun Lun, you know, she is a little more like like involved when she has cubs because she's nursing cubs. Like she needs to, she needs attention from us. She needs all the things. She eats grass. Like she, she's not getting a lot of nutrients from that. Like, of course she needs us all the time. Yang Yang needs us all the time just because Yang Yang needs us all the time. Um, he, a lot of times, you know, we'll have him behind the scenes so that we can clean up an overnight area or, you know, put fresh stuff out for him. And he won't go back out because he just wants to hang out. He just wants to be around us, and it, which is cute and all. But when you have three other bears that need something all at the exact same time and Yang's like, I'm staying here. <laughs> um He's just so silly and nothing he does makes any sense. (laughs) He's just always goofing around. He has this really silly thing he does where he grabs his pseudo thumb on his left paw and you can tell him like, yeah, get it. And he'll grab it and shake his head back and forth and throw his whole body backwards. And that's his way of telling his keepers, like, I want to play. We should play. Um, We obviously never share the same space as him because he is a 300 pound bear as much as I love him, there is no amount of money or, or coercion that could make me want to go in there with him. Um, one, he's, like I said, a 300-pound bear. Two, he's afraid of, like, everything. If you sneeze too loud, he's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, but we are able to, you know, engage with him in different ways through that protective barrier. So we'll give him a piece of rope and we can play tug of war. He never really puts himself all the way into it because if he wanted to, he could beat us in a heartbeat. He like, of course, yeah. He's a tease. He'll be like, "Oh, look, you're winning," and then he'll just yank it in. Um, but if you if he accidentally drops it or something and you win, he gets like visually irritated. <laughs> He's like, "That's mine. That's my rope, and you took it." And he'll like walk away to the back of the den and just stare at you. My son does that same kind of thing from time to time. So yeah, he's like a big three hundred pound toddler. That's that's what he is. He's a three hundred pound toddler, but he just makes me so happy, and I can't ever have a bad day when I'm around him, even if he is the reason that I'm stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like I, I know this sounds cheesy, but like when my, I lost my mom to cancer and when I would come to work every day and see Yang Yang, like he made me smile and he would, it's like he knew he would do something like extra ridiculous or like smear a turd on the glass and I'd be like, God, Yang. <laughs> but it just, he makes me so happy. There is nothing the cheesy about that. Animals are everything. Right. I, he, yeah. I could talk about that bear all day. You are on a podcast, so you know. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's just goal, a Yang right? Yang podcast. No, I love all of them, and they all make me smile for different reasons. But there's just something about Yang, and everyone loves him. So it's very clear that he's just special. That's awesome. I, I love, I love when you find an animal that's like that. Whether it's just for you or for, you know, like you said, for everybody. Yeah, it's, and yeah. It's special. Like like you when you met Iggy, that was big for you. And yep. I feel like because I have such an emotional connection with the animals I work with, I'm able to like, like portray our mission at Zoo Atlanta so much more because people can see how much like these animals mean to me. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember like, like I said, I've, I've, I've been a, a fanboy of yours since, since before we met because you do the Panda updates. I do a lot of Panda updates. You do. And they're so good. And I was so excited and shocked that I got to meet Danica W. Who Danica does W. Panda updates. And then, you know, um, it has meant like so much to me that we have become actual friends since doing the last podcast yeah. and we have hung out together and we text and we say all kinds of snarky stuff that we can't say on the podcast. And, um, it, it has meant so much to me because it's so cool that you, you care so much about this. You know what I mean? And I just, um, yeah. And like I said, animals are everything. And, and except see? for that one, animals are everything. <laughs> Like, I can train a bear, but I can't train my dog not to bark. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So, you did mention pseudo-pregnancy. So, for those listening, talk to me about what that is in general and then your recent experience with it. Yeah. Um, I love talking about this because I there's an article that circulates online every couple of years that's like, giant panda fakes being pregnant for treats. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like when we do our behind the scenes encounters um, with the giant pandas, we actually get this question a lot. Like, do they ever fake being pregnant for a treat? So I'm like, well, no, that's a boy panda. So not usually. Um, <laughs> but so if giant, it's not an exclusive giant panda thing. So there are several animals that go through pseudo pregnancy. Um, so every year, whether or not a female giant panda even sees a male giant panda, her body's going to tell her, hey, you're pregnant. You need to get ready for this. Like, you need to start eating a lot. You need to start finding somewhere to build a nest. All of those things. Um, for giant pandas in human care, um, the only way we know for sure it's a pseudo-pregnancy is um, through, well, one, if we've had a breeding interaction between our two animals. And then, like I mentioned earlier, those ultrasounds. So... Um, in the past, the reason that behavior was trained is because we have had all of our cubs successfully because of artificial insemination. We've given Yang Yang and Lun Lun the chance to breed naturally and try to figure things out. Um, long story short, Yang Yang is friend zoned pretty hard by Lun Lun. <laughs> um, she she's given him the chance, and he just like can't figure it out in the time that she's given him, and she gets irritated and. She's not 
she's not down with it. We kind of we kind of joke that Yang Yang is like the goofy next door neighbor she grew up with, and she no matter how cute he is, she's just not into it. <laughs> um, that totally tracks. I get that. Yeah, he's friend zoned pretty hard, but because these animals are so important and until recently were classified as endangered, we don't have the opportunity like most mammals to allow them to try again the next month, right? So giant pandas only cycle once a year and it's from around like 24, I've, I've read a lot of different things, but generally you can say like 48 hours is usually a good mark. And if you miss that, you're out of luck until the next year. Just sorry guys, not this time. That's just um, crazy. It's insane. Um, so the panda, the female panda will think she's pregnant. And unless you can confirm a fetus on an ultrasound, if you have had a breeding interaction, um, she will act like she's pregnant all the way up until she doesn't have that baby. And then there's just not a baby. Um, so she, Lun Lun went through one this year. She went through one last year as well. They'll go through all the motions. Um, we call it denning up. So she will get a little slower. This is of course, after she's been eating nonstop for like two and a half weeks, we can't put enough food in that bear's mouth. <laughs> um, and then she'll just kind of go down where she's just sleeping a lot. And she has all these really weird hormonal quirks. Um, Heather, one of the keepers I work with, there's, so Luna, Luna will do something and be like, oh, she's pseudo-pregnancy right now. It's like she just knows. I mean, she's worked with this bear for 14 years, but Lin Lin does this weird thing where she only peels her bananas when she's hormonal. <laughs> um, and then she – pandas are like the masters of contortion. I don't know how they bend the way they do, but Lin Lin will actually take her claws and scratch her teeth, which is the worst sound. <laughs> um <laughs> She'll do like somersaults into her sleeping position. So she'll somersault, lay down and go to sleep. And it's like something we only see when she's hormonal. Huh. Um, but, and then gradually it's not like one day she wakes up and she's like, Oh, I don't have a baby back to normal guys. Uh, she'll, she'll gradually come out of it when her, her hormone levels kind of go back to normal. But it's interesting to take care of an animal that thinks it's pregnant <laughs> and then it's not. That is interesting. Now, I realize, I know we can't really know what an animal's thinking, but, like, is the animal, you know, is is she sad after that? Like, is it like... You know, I get this you know, question a lot. It's not, it's I not mean, a stupid it's question. It's definitely some anthropomorphizing. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't know, it just seemed like something I was curious about, I guess. Yeah, so if you think about it, you know, if you take those human emotions away, right, you know, when we'll just say human females are going through pregnancy. There's like all these emotions attached and it's like a process. What Lulun is doing is so hormone driven. It is just so innately a part of her that I don't think, you know, she like has her fake baby and then looks around and is like, where is it at? I don't think she necessarily knows. I mean, again, we don't know for sure, but we'd never have seen any behavioral indications that she's distressed um, right, right. Usually, and I assume you, know, you would know if there was. Oh, we distress. would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really easy to tell. Like we're with them so much, it's so easy to tell when they're off. Um, and we've never. I mean, I've gone through two or three pseudo pregnancies with Lun Lun now, and there's never been any indication that she's upset or anything. If anything, she's like, "Oh, thank God, that's over." <laughs> like. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, cool. So you've talked about the bears a lot, but tell me what is a day in the life of a giant panda keeper like for a human? John, all I do is clean up bamboo. 
That is literally what I do for eight hours a day, five days a week. <laughs> um, so I, I like to tell people that, you know, most, I mean, I've only worked so many areas in the zoo, right? But in general, I think it's safe to say that for most animals, you know, you come in in the morning, you go into their habitats, you clean up the mess they made the day before, you set it up for that day, they go in the habitat, you go behind the scenes and you pick up the overnight mess and then you get them ready to come inside. So it's generally very morning heavy. Um, for animals that are like constantly needing tons of like really involved enrichment, you know, like primates and stuff, you have to constantly be enriching them because they're so smart. Um, that's like an all day thing. But a lot of times, you know, you come in, the, most of the work is in the morning. The giant pandas is like this never ending cycle of doom where they eat, they sleep, they poop, they wake up and they want more. And then you just do it all over again, which would be fine, right? If there was one of them, but there's four of them. <laughs> and we don't say the S word in the panda building. We don't say sleep because the second you say like, oh, Lulun's sweeping, Lulun's like, good morning, everyone. I am up <laughs> and I am ready for a snack. Um, we will literally grab our keys on our belts and like tiptoe around the building because the second they wake up, they're like, okay, guys, let's go. Let's do it again. Um, we go through about, let me see. I did the numbers today before I left. Anywhere between like 250 to 400 pounds of bamboo every single day. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. And that's just in the 10 hours a day that we're there. So then they get like their overnight amount and then they get like a ton of other stuff and they get their leaf eater biscuits. But we joke there's this like silent alarm in the building that goes off that makes all of them need something at exactly the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, while you're taking care of. Yang Yang, for example, Loon Loon or the cubs are at the door where they are being, they're vocalizing at us. Have you ever heard of giant panda vocalize before? Sadly, I have not. Oh my gosh, you have to look it up. It's called bleating like a goat. Right, right. I'm not even going to try. Um, but it is, it sounds I like I love two, that you knew I was going to ask though. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> People will ask me during like behind the scenes tours and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like you might have something recording in your pocket. <laughs> um <laughs> It sounds like Chewbacca. So when you're like frantically trying to get this panda ready and you hear like, over there. Hey, everyone. Time for a quick interrupting John. Uh, First of all, I just would like to point out to all of you that, yes, she did on her own do her impression of the panda bleeding. And I could not be prouder of that fact. Second of all, here is what an actual panda not named Danica Wolf sounds like when it is bleeding. Okay, back to the interview. The building echoes. Very stressful. Um, no, I love them, but it's a lot of cleaning and yeah. a lot of picking up poop. Everything is in and out in six hours. So um, you can generally tell where one of them has slept because there's just like a ring of turds in <laughs> a certain area. Um, the other thing about giant pandas is that once they're up and they're ready for more food, they start walking because in their natural habitats, they'd get up and start walking for more bamboo. But that's how they tell us that they want more bamboo is they start walking around and they like to smash everything into the ground. <laughs> and then Danica goes out there on all fours and picks it up. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but it's, it's a lot of cleaning. And then we do a lot of training with them. They're bears. So they're so smart. It is so insane. The things that they know how to do and how quickly they learn how to do it. Such um, as? The first thing I, it was my first, like we called it my big girl behavior. Um, 
the first medical behavior I ever trained was I trained Yalin and Shilin to hold their arm in a like blood, uh, blood draw sleeve, and they're voluntarily able to give blood draws. Nice. So they'll just put their arm in a little sleeve that comes out on our side of the protective barrier while they're still on their side. And the vets can come up and shave a little patch of their fur and get some blood so we can monitor their health that way. And that was definitely like the coolest moment of my entire zookeeping career is I think Yalun did it first, which everyone was surprised. But she just sat there and as long as you gave her biscuits, we just were able to get blood. So that's awesome. That was more than you asked. (laughs) No, that was no. You're. I I know I don't have to keep saying this, but you're very good at this and people love your info. Trust me. I wouldn't have you back on for another podcast if if I wasn't intrigued by what you're saying. I could talk about them all day. Anything you want to know. I I mean, if if you have any other stories that you want to share that I can edit in or whatever, I'm here for it. We gave them bubble bath recently for the first time. Wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Tell Um, me everything. So earlier we kind of talked about you know, how we communicate with the other zoos that have giant pandas for like husbandry reasons. So they gave, um, I think it was Bebe or Tian Tian, their older male, they gave him bubble bath. So I emailed the keepers there. I was like, you got to tell me what that is. And, Cause I want to give it to Yang Yang and Lun Lun. Um, so we got it. All of our enrichment goes through a pretty strict approval process with, you know, our lead keeper in our area, our curator and our vet staff, just to make sure every single thing we give them is safe. Um, so it got approved, it went through everything and we gave it to them and it was really anticlimactic for the girls because it wasn't bamboo. So they were like, this is, this is weird. Like, what are you doing? Yang Yang walked up to it. And because it was so foamy, I don't think he realized that there was nothing under it. So he just stuck his whole pot in and then was like, oh my gosh. And flung his arm out and bubbles went flying everywhere <laughs> and i had just cleaned the glass and of course he got it all over the glass um that was really funny we like to give them um i didn't talk about self-anointing at all which is like a huge giant panda thing talk to um, so they will if you kind of think about it like your dog when they roll in something stinky and they just want to get it all over them So giant pandas will do the same thing generally with like the most random things you'd never think of, like Listerine. Wow. Um, Yang Yang loves Tabasco sauce. Um, Again, all approved by our veterinary staff. Um, They, we actually found this like Tabasco sauce relic when we were cleaning one day. So I guess Tabasco, like the brand Tabasco sent Yang a one gallon tub of Tabasco. (laughs) That said, like, to spice up the bamboo or something like that. Um, We don't put it on their food. They don't eat it. Um, But if you just put, like, a single drop on something, he will – they will all roll around and, like, rub it all over their faces and get it on their ears. And it is – it's almost like they can't help it. They're like, oh, not again. And they just drop and they start doing it. Um, When Lun Lun has the cubs with her before they're weaned, if they roll in something that she thinks smells good, she will pick them up and, like – dab them all over her head and the cubs just like mom what are you doing and loon's just like powdering herself with this baby panda um but that was the goal with the bubbles we haven't quite gotten there yet pandas are neophobic so they're afraid of everything that's new right right so like you give them i think we um we mixed up some of the biscuits like we just changed up a biscuit that they normally get and it was different than the one they've been getting for 
over 10 years and they were like, what is that? Be like the other pandas at the other zoos get it, guys. You're going to be okay. Like, it's fine. <laughs> and they're like, nope, mm-mm, nope. Um, so introducing anything to them is a process, including new keepers. Um, they like to test new keepers. Oh, yeah? So when new keepers start, the pandas, people say pandas are lazy and they're like these big dumb bears. Um, but they're so smart and this isn't just a panda thing, but they will, they will test new keepers when they're training to be like, okay, how much can I get away with? Because you don't actually know what's going on around here yet. And you're still going to give me that biscuit. So it happened to me and it just happened to one of our newer keepers that started like a year and a half ago. But you know, you'll ask the pandas, put their paw up and if their paw goes up on the mesh, they get a biscuit for it. Um, Yang Yang is the worst. He'll kind of like, he'll be like, you asked me for my paw. Well, here's my ear. <laughs> and then he'll just look at you and he'll be like, okay, is she going to cave? And the thing with them is the second you cave, like game over, like they have realized that you are weak. <laughs> um, and it's so hard because they're so cute. You just want to be like, here's all the biscuits, like take the whole bag, <laughs> but you have to stay strong because if you give them an inch, they take seven miles. That's hilarious. Oh. Uh, you know, I'm curious because I know um, that you are going to be moving to Boston soon. Mm -hmm. And um, that would be a heck of a commute. So I guess that. I know. I asked and I'm not allowed to take Young. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought they'd let you. I, you know, after years of dedicated service. Plus, then you could keep doing panda updates. I could. Maybe they'll uh, contract me out for some panda updates. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm curious. Um, you know, first, I have to say that as your friend, I am so excited for you to start this this next chapter um, and to get away from the heat of Atlanta. But, oh, uh, you know, um, I'm not going to lie. As a person who has, since discovering to Atlanta, loved all of the work that you've done, uh, I'm going to miss having you down there and, and thinking of you down there and, and being with these amazing pandas. So talk to me about how you're feeling about that. Ugh, I haven't really thought about it too much. So my last day is in two weeks and I'm trying to just look at every day, you know, every day when I walk in the giant panda building, I look at those animals. I'm like, what can I do for you? Like, what do you, what are we going to do for you today? You know, my whole day is just making sure those bears have everything they need. And as much as I would like to think, I actually was talking to my curator about this yesterday, as much as I would like to think Yang Yang's going to miss me or I'm, I'm sad he's going to forget me, my curator was like, Yang Yang might forget you when you leave for the day. <laughs> it's just it's just how animals are, right? And so, I mean, they definitely recognize us and they definitely know who we are. Like he interacts with me different than he interacts with someone who he's never met. But at the end of the day, like, I know for a fact that they're still going to be getting amazing care from my coworkers. They're still going to be taken care of. They're still going to have these great lives at Zoo Atlanta. And I'll be able to come visit them when I can, you know, when COVID's not a thing anymore. Um, and this time I won't have to clean up 30 pounds of poop. I'll just be able to say hi. <laughs> um, it is really sad. And I think, you know, I thought about maybe looking at others do jobs when I moved, but I just, I loved being a giant panda keeper so much that I'm just, I'm happy to go out on that note. And just, I, I think I have some, I'm going to be like the cool grandma. <laughs> that is such a great way to put right? it. Right. I already have the glasses for it and I'm just, I'm going to be a cool grandma. I think 
Or they're just going to think I'm crazy and be like, yeah, right, grandma. You never, you didn't do that. To be fair, most of the cool grandmas definitely go through the phase where they hear those things a lot. Yeah. I had the coolest of grandmas and and there were definitely times that I was like, oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah, no. Just goes with the territory. I'm sad, but I think it's like a happy sad. Like I loved it so much and I feel like I got to help impact so many people that I can leave knowing I gave it everything I had. And I gave those bears everything I had every single day. That's, I mean, what more can you ask for, right? Um, Man, that's incredible. Good for you. Good for you. I'm proud of you. So, as you know, I like to open up the floor at this time to, uh, you know, ask if there are any conservation organizations you'd like to talk about or, or anything pertaining to zoos or conservation. The floor is yours. Okay. Um, I think, I guess... One of the things I've learned as a giant panda keeper, and I know a lot of other keepers listen to this podcast as well, um, is you'd be surprised at like how many people are kind of not huge fans of giant pandas. Really? Which is, yeah. You, so, okay. Like, here's the thing. Giant pandas are expensive and they cost a lot of money and they get a lot of attention because they're warm and fuzzy. I like to say megafauna because I feel cool when I say megafauna. <laughs> Um, but, and I totally get that. Like they are expensive and they do cost us a lot of money, but they also bring in a lot of visitors. And I think what's important to remember about giant pandas is, yeah, you know, they get a lot of attention. Um, but that's just because they're cute and they're funny and they are like big drunk toddlers that just fling themselves off of things. And if you look at the success of giant pandas and using like a warm and fuzzy to bring in all these people to like care about this animal that can translate over to a ton of other animals. Um, there are several animals that share habitats with giant pandas that are benefiting because people care so much about pandas. So, you know, you have like snow leopards and, you know, the one subspecies of red panda that share habitat with giant pandas. Um, so I just really want people to like give pandas a break like I know they I know they're expensive and they're these carnivores that eat grass and they aren't necessarily like they don't reproduce that well in human care but if you think about it they were doing fine until humans got involved like way back when right when we started cutting down their homes so I think that would be like if I could put out like a giant panda PSA that would be it like they are they deserve to be loved just like everyone else's animals and I just think that it's important as, you know, animal keepers and like animal care staff that we are inclusive of everything and we recognize each animal for the important role they have. Amazing. I think you're absolutely right. That is incredibly important. Um, So then the final question is, of course, the Rasafari poop story. So hit me. (laughs) Um, She's going to kill me for telling people this. Uh, (laughs) So giant pandas digest 30% of what goes in their bodies as far as bamboo goes, right? Okay. So when you think about giant pandas being like, oh, like all they do is eat and sleep. That is literally all they have the energy to do because they eat grass and they're not built to eat grass. It'd be like if you tried to feed a tiger romaine lettuce all the time. And then there's the argument, you know, like, why do they do that? Evolution and like adaptation. That's all I've got to say about that. Um, So when Zoo Atlanta first... Um, closed because of COVID-19 earlier this year. 
We practice social distancing within our teams because, you know, if one of us got sick, we still needed to be able to have people that knew how to take care of the animals, healthy enough to take care of the animals. So I got quarantined with one of my best friends. Uh, She used to be a panda keeper. So she's done like nursery watch and dealt with a lot of the baby pandas. So she totally knows how to be a giant panda keeper. Um, But we were spending a lot of time together. And then, like, she knows she'd have dinner at my house because we're already quarantined together. Um, and I love her to death. But there was one day we were cleaning and we're close to the public. And giant panda poop is literally just like this little avocado shaped ball of grass. It is if you crushed it into a patch of like playground mulch, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Oh, wow. It is the cleanest of the poops, um, especially for a bear. Bear poop in general is really gnarly. Yeah, yeah. I don't even like to talk about it. It's going to make me a little gaggy. Um, <laughs> so I don't know why, but she said something snarky to me, like just messing around. And I just picked up a giant panda turd and threw it at her. <laughs> and it just shattered because it's just mulch. And she just looks at me. She goes, you're cleaning that up and walks away. <laughs> and, you know, we have this, like, group thread going about how everyone's doing. We're sending each other cute pictures of the animals doing, like, weird stuff when no one's around. And she's like, Danica threw a panda turn at me today. And I was like, fun fact, I also videotaped it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the giant pandas, their poop is so, like, not gross that I don't think I have an actual, like, the idgy squeegeeing right, thing I yeah, told no, you about. Which, which was an amazing story. That yeah. was that was next level. No, that's, that's amazing, though. I love that... Um, you know, think about it from a non-animal person perspective to just bare hands and poop and fling it. Um, oh, I had a glove on at least, right? Still, but, uh, still, that's that's pretty special. Yeah, I definitely, we're still friends, it's okay, but I definitely threw a giant, and I mean, how many people in the world can say they've had a giant panda turd thrown at them? Exactly. I was just propelling her to greatness. <laughs> Amazing. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Well, that was awesome for me, and I hope y'all enjoyed it as well. By the time this episode is released, Danica will no longer be at Zoo Atlanta and will already be on her way to her next exciting adventure. You know, I said it to Danica in the interview, and I'll repeat it now. It is amazing the impact that one person can have on another without them even knowing it. Panda updater Danica W. has meant so much to me over the last couple of years, ever since I first discovered Zoo Atlanta and Iggy. The fact that she has become a friend, as well as now a podcast guest, not once, but twice, is incredible to me. And the fact that she is every bit as an amazing a human as she seems to be on these episodes, is just awesome. So to all of you listening, and especially to all of you who are keepers or otherwise employed in this industry, I hope you realize the impact that you are having not just on the animals and not just on conservation in general, but on individuals who love the animals that you take care of every single day. You can be impacting people that are nowhere near you physically simply by posting cool stuff on Instagram or doing updates or zoo school or that kind of thing. And it is amazing 
the impact that you can be having every day without even realizing it. Thank you all for all that you do, for animals and for people like me who just really, really love them. And Danica, thank you so much. The zookeeping world is going to miss you greatly. Don't forget, everyone, you can check out at ZooATL on Instagram for Zoo Atlanta's incredible Instagram page. And also go to www.zooatlanta.org to check out their schedule and everything going on at the zoo. Oh, and if there are any red pandas listening to this episode, hey, sorry, fam, but these guys deserved a, uh, an episode too. Don't worry, though. We all know who the real panda is. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.